0: Well, we're looking at Psalm 24 today, and the context of that psalm is a great celebration. So I'm wondering, what kind of great triumphal celebrations can you think of? Maybe it might be the World Cup Tour. Um, people tend to get pretty into that if their country wins, and it can get fairly crazy at times. Um, maybe it might be Grand Final Parade, or for whoever young people, it might be a Taylor Swift concert, it might be the one of the greatest events of celebration you can think of, or or some of our oldest members of the congregation, maybe you can remember the celebrations on the streets after World War II. Um, After many hard and long years, that was certainly a a great time of rejoicing. Well, I want you to keep those pictures of celebrations in your mind, because the setting of this psalm would probably bear a lot of resemblance to these kind of events. The general consensus is that David probably wrote this psalm for the occasion of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for the first time. Uh, you can read more about those events in 2 Samuel chapter 6 if you want to later on. Well, The Ark of the Covenant, as most of you would remember, was the golden chest that God had instructed Moses to make for the tabernacle. It was a symbolic throne of God and represented his presence among his people. The triumphal entry of the ark establishes Jerusalem as the capital and spiritual center of Israel. This is God making his home in Jerusalem. From now on, the tabernacle and soon the temple will remain central in God's plan for his people. This psalm speaks of God's glory as the great king and creator of all things. It speaks of the blessing that the servants of this great king can expect. And it calls the people of Jerusalem and ask today to give honour, praise and glory that is fitting to the supreme ruler of the universe. But this isn't Jerusalem here today, is it? And the temple is no longer standing. So what relevance is there of this psalm for us? Well, some things have changed in a few thousand years since this psalm was written, but many others have not. Today we're going to see how God is still the great king that He's always been worthy of honour and grace. First, we'll look at God as creator. That is the foundation of this psalm. We see, Then we'll see how we as creatures compare to God's holiness and how we can relate to him. And finally, we'll look at what our response should be to recognising God's holiness. That is to crown him as king over our hearts and lives. But first, let me pray. Dear God, as we study this psalm today, please open our hearts to see you as you truly are. May the awareness of your holiness and majesty cause us to bow down before you as our King. May we give you the worship and honour and prayers you deserve. Dear Lord, please guide my words by your Holy Spirit that I might speak your truth today. Amen. Well... The first two verses of this psalm are the foundation that the rest of the psalm rests on. Let's read them again together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. These first two verses are quite simple, yet they contain one of the most fundamental aspects of who and what God is. They can be summarized quite simply. God made the earth. Therefore, he owns it. He is the boss and we are not. So, yep, that's verses one and two done. Let's move on. Uh, Point two is creature. Um, Actually, let's let's wait for a bit longer and pause on these verses. Because the Psalms are poems and songs. They're meant to be more than a simple flow of logical thought. They're crafted to stir our hearts and to help us feel the truth of who God is. Not just to know it at an intellectual level. So let's slow down for a second and think about what it means that God is the creator of the world we live in. I wonder do you ever stop to think about the details of what God has made? Often we get busy and we're focused on everything we need to do and we just take what is around us for granted. But if we stop for a moment and take in the world around us, we can get a glimpse of the glory of God. I find sometimes I'm struck in awe by the beauty and creation of what God has made. Uh, This next slide contains a couple of pictures of moments that have caused me to pause and consider the intricacies and glory of God's creation. On the left, you can see a lucerne flea. Um, Those of you who are farmers will know this too well. Um, It's a pest, but it is also an amazing creature. These tiny little arthropods are only three millimetres long, but they have an appendage under their tail called a fulcra. This is basically a miniature mousetrap, complete with a spring, a lever, and a catch. And they use this mechanism to escape predators by jumping enormous distances compared to their tiny size. Because this mechanism operates on energy stored in tendons rather than needing to create the muscle, the energy in the moment using muscles, it is much more effective than using their legs for jumping. The fact that this tiny, tiny animal has this intricate mechanism allowing for such large movement just blows my mind. Like they can jump many thousands of times the length of their own body. On the right, we see a sunset. Now unfortunately, its glory is a bit muted on the projector, but I'm sure you've all seen them, and you can remember how they look. But next time you see a sunset or a sunrise, I want you to take a moment and appreciate the shapes and the colors. When God created this universe, he didn't have to make it like he did. But he chose to give it color and structure and beauty he also chose to give us eyes that can see the full rainbow of colours. He gave us brains and minds that can perceive and appreciate beauty. This is a great blessing to us, but it should also point us towards the majesty and creativity of the one who made it all. Every time we stop and we see the marvellous things that God has made, we are reminded that he is much greater than all of it. And the fact that God created the universe also gives him authority over it. We can read in Job chapter 38, God's response to Job, after Job had been questioning what God had done. I'll read a part of that passage now. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched the measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it was bursting forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, when I wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said this, Far you may come and no further, here is where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders in the morning or shown the dawn its place? Well, that passage continues on for another 60 verses, and I'll, in just a time I'll spare you from reading them all now, but I'd encourage you to go and read them yourself. We see here God has authority over the world and all things in it because he made it. He designed the world. He ordered it and arranged it. He brings order from chaos. He decided how everything works, and he revealed his plan for the world through his word. In our society, we glorify the creators of successful companies, of music, movies, or social media stars. These people have all created beautiful things, and they can bring us joy That we wouldn't otherwise have. And they deserve recognition for what good they have done. But what about the one who created them? Not only created them, but created all the resources they use to create anything themselves. How much more honour and praise and glory is due to God who created the entire universe from nothing? We see in this psalm, creation is the foundation of God's glory. Now, we could get into more of what creation is and why God created, but I'll leave that for John next week. I don't want to steal too much of his thunder. So having seen the glory of God as creator, the psalm moves on to talk about the relationship of the creator to us, his creatures. Let's read verses 3 to 6 again. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord... Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. They will receive the blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. This section of the Psalm starts with a question. Who is worthy to be in the presence of God? The answer follows quickly in verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. We see here the standard we have to meet in order to approach God, in order to be in a relationship with him. The standard is very high. You need to have clean hands. You can't have any dirt on them. All the actions you have done in your whole life must be good. And not only do your actions need to be good, you also need to have a pure heart. Even if your actions were good, are your motives always pure? To meet this standard, you also need to not trust in any false god. Only the true god, the creator, is to be the center of our hope and security. So this answer should raise another question in our minds. Who does meet this standard? Well, let's consider a few options. Does the author of this psalm, David. He wrote it, and I don't know about you, but if I'm going to write a song and include in that song the standard it takes to be a good person, then I'd like to make sure I meet that standard. Well, unfortunately, we can rule David out fairly quickly. If you're reading through 2 Samuel, only five chapters after David brings the ark into Jerusalem, We read about David's adultery with Bathsheba and his murder that he committed to cover it up. So note, David definitely doesn't come up to standard. Well, is there anyone else? Unfortunately not. We read in Jeremiah 17 verse 19, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? And again in Isaiah 53 verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Can any of us honestly look into our lives and say that every action we have ever done is good? If we are honest with ourselves, we fall short. That's just considering our actions, let alone we look at our hearts. Remember the language used. It reads, clean hands and a pure heart. It doesn't say mostly clean or a mostly pure heart, like does you come out good in the balance of things? No, the standard is purity and no contamination is allowed. Further, do we all trust in God for our hope and security? Too often we trust in our money, in our charisma our career, our family to give us value and hope. All of those good things can become idols in our hearts if they are not kept in the right place. There is no human who has ever come up to the standard to be able to enter God's presence. Except for one. And that is Jesus. You see, because God's... Because God knew that we could never come up to his standard, he came down to us. God came to earth and he took on human form in Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life that we cannot. He had the clean hands and a pure heart. And even though the devil tried his hardest, Jesus never turned away from God. Then, even though he had never done anything wrong, He chose to take the penalty for our wrongdoing. He chose to die in our place. But because he was perfect and because he was both God and man, he is able, through his death, to take the penalty that we deserve. Let us read again the passage that we heard from 2 Corinthians. I'll give you a moment to turn to it in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. But God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, When we accept him as our Saviour and Lord, the perfect and righteous life that he lived becomes ours. Through him, we are able to be restored to God and to enter his presence. This is foreshadowed in verse 5 of Psalm 24, when it says we will receive vindication from God our Saviour. The Cambridge Dictionary defines vindication as the fact of proving someone is not guilty or is free from blame. This vindication, this righteousness, is the greatest blessing that we get from God. Through Jesus, everything that we are guilty of, every wrong action, every wrong thought, every time we've hurt somebody, every time we've rebelled against God, it's as though it never happened in God's eyes. Instead of being guilty of rebellion against the creator king, we are adopted as his children and will spend eternity with him in heaven. Now beyond the glory of creation, this, this is the thing that should cause us to worship God. It is amazing news. It is the best thing we can ever hear. So having seen God's glory in creation and what he has done to reunite us with him, what should our response be? I think the remaining verses of Psalm 24 give us a pretty good idea. If you read with me from verse 7. <laughs> Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the King of glory. In these verses, we see the triumphal entry of the King of glory into the city. The city recognises the glory and authority of the king and they open up their gates to welcome him in. As he enters, they sing of his might and the victories he has won over their enemies. This is an extravagant public celebration of Israel's God. In 2 Samuel we read that King David was so filled with joy in this celebration that he forgot all about being a dignified king. And he was dancing in the streets like any undignified commoner. Today, Jesus is knocking at the gates of our heart and asking to be let in. So, my question for all of you today is are you willing to acknowledge him as a king over your life? Are you willing to acknowledge him as your creator? Are you willing to acknowledge that you haven't met his standards, that you have been in rebellion against him? Are you willing to give him the glory he deserves? To crown him as the king over your heart and over your life? Are you willing to sing his praises, to shout them from the rooftops, Are you willing to let others know about this great news that you have received? For those of you who have let God be the King of your life, who have invited Him in, who have opened up your gates, are you dwelling in His glory? Are you dwelling in the joy that it is to be reunited with Him? Life gets busy and there are struggles and there are hard times. And we can let it distract us from remembering who God is. But even in mourning, we can have joy in our hearts. It doesn't stop the tears, but it gives us hope. Next time you see a sunset or a sunrise, take a moment and reflect on the beauty that God has created. Thank him for the blessing we've received and most of all for the blessing of salvation. Life is challenging and it's easy to take for granted who God is and what he has done for us. But we need not to lose sight of the magnitude of who God is. He is our creator, he is our Lord and above all he is our redeemer. Let me pray. Dear Lord, you are the great and holy king. You created us, you created the world, everything we see around us. You made us in your image, yet we have all chosen to be our own king. Too often we decide that we want to make the rules for us rather than listen to and follow you, Lord. Because of our rebellion, we deserve your wrath. We deserve death. But because of your love and grace, we don't have to face that anymore. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has taken our penalty. I pray that you'll help us all to welcome you into our hearts, to give you the rightful place as ruler over our lives, that we would remember your glory, that we would make it known, that we would celebrate you and what you have done for us, Lord. May you help us to be ambassadors for you. And even in the hard times of life, Lord, help us to turn to you for our joy and our comfort. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.